Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Cult Spark Podcast. My name is Bob Taylor, and I write about movies of the cult and geek varieties at cultspark.com. I'm joined again tonight by my friend and fellow writer, Stuart Smith, and we're going to spend this entire episode talking about Justice League, the recently released DC Comics team-up movie. Before we do that, though, one of the things I want to start doing at the top of all of our podcast episodes is to highlight the recent writing we've done at the website. Look, we like doing the podcast. We're glad you like listening to the podcast. We're glad you're listening to it right now. But most of us at Cult Spark are actually all writers and journalists by trade or have been at some point. So we're really proud of the reviews and other written pieces that we run at the site. For example, since our last podcast... I've personally written reviews for Justice League, Thor Ragnarok, and Gerald's Game. I also wrote a piece about a specific sequence from Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that just drives me nuts every time I attempt to watch that dumbass movie. Uh, We've also published my colleague Tim Kelly's review of Blade Runner 2049, as well as his never-before-read full interview with director John Carpenter that he was able to do a few years back, which I was really proud to host. So if any of that stuff sounds interesting to you, please head to cultspark.com and check it out. And then if you enjoy what you see, what you're reading, please go like our Facebook page so you're notified about new reviews, new articles, new content when it goes live. Now, for the podcast, which is why we're here, and we're here to talk about Justice League, a movie that I thought was okay. It was goodish. It was not embarrassingly terrible like Batman vs. Superman was. Stu, I think your feelings about Justice League are similar to mine. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's not It's not a good movie, uh, purely in terms of, you know, in purely in cinematic terms. It's not really defensible. Uh, it's two-thirds of a movie. It's, it's a Frankenstein's monster of film. But despite that, uh, despite its myriad problems... I had a lot of fun with it. I had fun watching it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that does work that works really well. Uh, go see it, have fun with it, uh, but do not expect to watch a good movie. Well, the thing is, is for once they get the characters right for the most they part. They do. So that goes a long way. Yeah, it, they get, and I say this as someone who uh, will still uh, heartily and vehemently defend Man of Steel. Uh, you know, they, they get Superman right in a way that I've wanted to see them get him right for decades at this point. Uh, I, Henry Cavill, it, it's kind of embarrassing, really, in hindsight now, how wasted Henry Cavill has been because he shows just how great he can be in the part now that they're not having him be all mopey and conflicted and, uh, you know, really turn on the, you know, the charm and the sincerity and just, you know, letting him be the big blue boy scout that Superman is. It's funny because when I saw Justice League, I actually went back and reviewed my Man of Steel review. And I also don't hate Man of Steel. At the time, I gave it three and a half stars out of five. I'm not even sure if I'm that strong on it now. <laughs> but if but if you read my review, I basically say it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. But if this is going to start a universe, they got the right guy to play Superman. And I still think that's the case. It just took them really a long time to put him to good use. Well, it's just it, it's it's interesting because it's like this is the Superman that I expected to see after Man of Steel, because after at the end of Man of Steel, 
this is the Superman that, that it feels like it has built up toward. Right. And then they just kind of crap all over that with Batman versus Superman. Right. I think Man of Steel is sort of retroactively lessened by Batman versus Superman. Oh, it, it absolutely is. Through no is. fault of its own, but it's hard to look at it separate from the universe at large now. Right. It, it is It is absolutely uh, diminished uh, by Batman versus Superman. And this... Uh, this sort of undoes uh, a lot of that damage, uh, if not all of it, uh, in a way. So, uh, you know, if, if nothing else, it, 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 it course corrects that, uh, which I thought was just, you know, a huge, huge deal, uh, with, you know, with the transgressions of Batman v Superman. So, uh, yeah, if nothing else, I walked out happy, uh, knowing that at least finally someone recognizes that this is how, uh, Henry Cavill deserves to be playing this character. And that someone was Joss Whedon, right? We assume. I, I would say so, yes. I, I, well, I assume it, so know, because, because Cavill has the CGI upper lip through most of the movie. And uh, so I have to assume it's Whedon stuff. Plus it feels you know, like, it feels like Whedon. A lot of it does feel like Whedon. Um, it's interesting because it's like everybody made such a big deal about the uncanny valley upper lip. Uh, kind of, you know, once the preview screenings had happened and all that kind of stuff. So I actually spent a, a good portion of, you know, of the screen time whenever Cavill shows up, like trying to, to notice it. And I actually, I don't, I mean, there was a couple places where it was very obvious. Uh, but I actually noticed Ben Affleck's, uh, shifting face shape way more than I did, uh, Cavill's upper lip. I, I mean, I could more. definitely notice the lip and I don't think it was in my head. Like sometimes when you got, when you when you're looking for that stuff, you can trick yourself into believing you're seeing it. But I I don't think that's the case here. It looked a little dicey to me a lot in that movie. Uh, you're right about Affleck though. You could tell his scenes were kind of filmed maybe during his hardcore workouts for the movie, and then maybe after he had laid off that exercise re- regime a little bit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a, well, and it was weird too because like I mean, it would do it like in the middle of a scene. Like, you can see it when he goes to uh, try and recruit Aquaman the first time. Uh, and it's like, it'll cut to a wide shot. And, it, you know, it, it's cut and angular. And then it's a, it comes into a close-up. And it's like, wow, what happened? How, you know, how how many hot dogs did you eat <laughs> after, after principal <laughs> photography wrap, dude? So, uh... In case there's somebody listening to this who don't who doesn't know what we're talking about, probably not the case. But just just to cover our bases, what had happened was Justice League is a was a notoriously troubled production that was essentially rebooted mid production two different times. Uh, it was originally a Zack Snyder film, then reportedly Zack Snyder was ordered to do rewrites and sort of reshoot some stuff. After Batman vs Superman came out and all the negative critic react critical reaction to that, and then Joss Whedon was brought on at that point to help punch up the script to help do some of the writing with Zack. Then after a family tragedy, Zack Snyder left the film completely. Whedon was then brought on as director as well to finish the film and reportedly redid up to thirty percent of it at that point. So the movie was basically rebuilt twice. And I think you can tell from the final product, correct? You too? Yeah. I mean, it feels like a movie can. that's, it feels like a movie that's heavily tinkered with. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think even to someone who isn't, uh, you know, a huge Joss Whedon fan or, you know, Zack Snyder fan, uh, you could probably 
tell just on your own, like what, what stuff was, was reshot or, you know, was different from, <laughs> from the original content. I mean, even, even if you've just seen the previews, like it's, it's, I can't remember that rogue one probably is the only other movie that I can think of, uh, where the trailers are so drastically different from the finished product. Right. And it's even funny because when you watch the movie, some of the early scenes, and again, I, I could sound like an idiot here because I could be guessing and guessing wrong, but my guess is, is like Batman with the, with the crook on the rooftop is shot very super stylized and feels like a Zack Snyder scene to me. And then Wonder Woman in the bank when she's first introduced and sort of the fight against the, uh, the bank robbers that there's a lot of speed ramping and stuff in that scene. So that feels like Zack Snyder. But then over the course of the movie, a lot of that sort of over stylized stuff just kind of recedes into the background. And really, it, it, so, so you, you, you felt like the, uh, the opening with Batman was Snyder. I think that's how you didn't feel really? that way. You felt it was Whedon. No, I felt I felt like it was Whedon. I felt that was Snyder. Maybe I could, I, again, I could I could be a jackass here. Someone could probably easily prove me wrong. But uh, to me, it, it felt like it, it felt like Whedon. Uh, one because of the dialogue. Uh, the dialogue felt very much Whedon esque. Uh, but just I don't just the way that he shot it. Um, what about the Wonder Woman intro? Uh, the Wonder Woman intro is 100% Zack Snyder. Because I feel more strongly about the Wonder Woman intro, but I but I honestly did think the Batman scene was Snyder too. Uh, the 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 Batman scene was heavily stylized, but it it felt it was too like the thing that I noticed is that like I mean you've got like all this you know neon signage and uh it's just it's <laughs> this is oh this is so telling it's too bright right. it's too bright to be a Zack Snyder thing. Uh, to be a Zack Snyder Batman scene. All right. Maybe you're right, and I apologize if I got it wrong to all parties involved, but <laughs> regardless, it in style, it does feel like two different movies bouncing back and forth through a lot of the runtime. Well, and that just goes to show, I mean, this really is, I mean, this is this is a Frankenstein's monster of a movie. I mean, there's there are so many points where you just, uh, you know, even ignoring the stuff that got cut that was in the trailers and such, I mean, there are just... These huge parts where you just, it's like, okay, yeah, there's something missing there. Like, uh, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get into spoilers, right? Oh, yeah. Spoilers are plenty. So for okay, some yeah, reason, so, you haven't watched the movie yet. Stop listening now. Right. So, um, you know, when Superman gets resurrected and, you know, they're all wondering if he's on their side and whatnot, you really get the feeling that, oh, okay, yeah, there was probably supposed to be at least a good 20 minutes of subplot here. Uh, where, you know, where Superman was either like under the control of Steppenwolf or like maybe, uh, ends up being manipulated by him or just, you know, some point where they're having to, uh, question for more than, you know, five, 10 minutes, uh, if he's on their side or not, I would be willing to bet so much money that there was a whole evil Superman subplot that got completely axed. Which it makes it kind of interesting because it leaves us in a position where we're trying to critique or, you know, decide the worth of this film. And it's like, so do we knock it for being such a Frankenstein's monster of a film or do we credit DC and maybe Joss for realizing there were problems and at least getting it up to watchable? And it's and it's kind of even if you look at the sort of the overall big picture of the movie, do we say, okay, this thing is a clear improvement over Batman versus Superman, so do we consider this a win? 
Or is the fact that it's still not even up to the quality of an average Marvel movie or even up to what Patty Jenkins was able to do with Wonder Woman in a solo film last year. Does that mean, no, we shouldn't be given credit for this, just, uh, you know, getting the average. You know, it's, it's one of those multi-pronged things. Uh, I always try to judge a film by what it is, not what I think it should be. Uh, but nothing ever, I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum, right? you know? So it's like, I mean, there are just, sometimes there are just certain things that, uh, you know, that you have to take into account. And that's why, you know, kind of like at the beginning, it was like, uh, I made the, the statement of it's indefensible as a movie and it is, uh, you know, just purely in terms of, of structure and character arcs and development and, you know, v- uh, the villain and the, how interesting the story is. I mean, it's just, it's a bad movie. Uh, but when you look at it and consider how uneven uh, the production was and the, you know, how drastically they seem to have retooled this thing at the last minute, uh, it really is kind of miraculous. I mean, it's, you know, uh, credit to Joss Whedon for uh, salvaging something that should have been a complete disaster, probably, uh, or at least something that was just... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to judge what this would have been. I think since we don't really know enough about what it would have been. Um, but you know, I mean, blame certainly goes to WB because it's like, look, if you hadn't just rammed headfirst into this thing, uh, trying to set up things too quickly with Batman v Superman, and by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm still one of those that, uh, that thinks that if done correctly, you don't have to spend five, six movies or whatever setting all this stuff up. I, I think that it was possible to have done a Justice League movie this early and been okay, uh, and kind of do it backwards from the way that Marvel had done. Uh, but that would require, uh, you know, a cohesive vision from the beginning. Uh, and it would require a, a much more deft touch well, I'd argue and talent. That, uh, that, I, I'm going to argue that it had a cohesive vision from the beginning, but one that nobody particularly liked. I, I, I mean, okay, I, 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 I kind of, turned, I can kind of agree with you there, but I mean, this movie, but see, I mean, one of the things, even when Snyder was still fully on board with this, uh, you know, one of the things that they, that, you know, there were some early set reports and stuff like that. And there was so much emphasis. Oh, look, 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 look. They crack jokes now. And, you know, it's not grimdark the way that Batman versus Superman was. I mean, look, we've learned our lesson. I mean, they're, you know, they made a point to say, okay, we get it. We're course correcting, whatever. And so, I mean, there, there is some lack of cohesion there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, you know, people, <laughs> they were still trying to figure out how they wanted to do this. Um, so. <sighs> I mean, yeah, there should absolutely be a lot of criticism uh, toward the studio management. Uh, Zack Snyder never should have been in charge of all of this to begin with. Uh, you know, and I say that as someone who mostly enjoys a lot of his stuff. Um, but no, he, he should have never been in charge here. It's just absolutely absurd. Uh, so it's it's a mess. The whole thing is a mess. So the fact that this was as enjoyable as it was, and, and I think that it actually, I mean, it, it, it course corrects things in a direction that I think it needs to, that I think the whole DC universe needs to go. Um, you know, so I think in terms of, uh, 
it managing to set a straight path to follow from here, it's a win. But as a as a film, no, not at all. Okay, speaking of setting a path for the future, we're going to at the end of this podcast, we are going to speculate about the future of the DC extended universe, but let's get to a couple other small fun things about the movie first. Uh, three new characters introduced, Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg. We saw sort of little snippets of them in Batman versus Superman, but this is really the first time we're seeing those characters on screen in bigger parts. Uh, out of those three, who worked for you and who didn't? Uh, I think all three of them worked for me uh, to varying degrees. Uh, I, I really liked uh, Ezra Miller's Flash. Uh, I think he did a really good job of uh, making the character his own, which is difficult considering, uh, you know, considering how well Grant Gustin plays the character in the Flash TV show. Um, okay, now I don't watch the Flash TV show, so I can't make that comparison. But you've seen the Flash TV show, so who, who's our better Flash? Which Flash you taking, Stu? I, you know, I, I think they serve their individual purpose as well. Uh, oh, the, such the a Barry cop Allen, out. The, such a cop out. No, 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 no. Hang on. Let, let me <laughs> yeah. let me qualify that. Uh, the Barry Allen that exists in the uh, in the W in the CW verse or whatever you want to call it uh, in the TV shows would not fit in this. Uh, it would not. It just he would just feel uh, out of place. He'd feel totally inconsistent. Uh, I just you know I just don't feel like he would have been a good fit. I like the way that they both interpret the character. You know, I think it's both. I think they both have interesting approaches. Uh, neither is uh, more right, I guess, than the other. Uh, although I do kind of take umbrage with the fact that uh, both of them play the character more like Wally West than Barry Allen. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of been my big beef. Is that it's like you know, just the the character as they're played. That is not Barry Allen. Barry Allen is a scientist he's not just kind of this like slightly goofy awkward lovable guy i mean he's you know he's a bit more serious than the way that they uh than either character uh, either actor portrays him that happens a lot though sometimes when you translate these comic characters in the movies though i mean marvel can be accused, that is true marvel can no doubt be accused of that as sort of bending characters to how they want to use them in their films yeah you know i wouldn't quite have expected uh flash to be pretty much the you know the comic relief character but uh, i i like them i like uh i like the uncertainty that he has um you know kind of going into this he's just he's not immediately a superhero uh you know just doing all these incredible feats he's got to be kind of coached a little bit by batman uh i thought that that was you know that I, was like, nice I like his arc in this movie a lot i don't think all his jokes land and, no, they don't. And I think he's a little too jokey at times. But I like that there's a hero on the team who's not even sure he wants to be a hero and only right. really joins because he's looking for friends, but doesn't right. feel sort of this hero's calling. And I, I think that's a good arc. It It is a good arc. And I I just I like the unbridled enthusiasm that Miller uh, imbues him with. Like everything is, is everything is awesome. Everything is just like overwhelmingly cool. Uh, you know, that he's suddenly thrust into this, uh, you know, whole new world for him with, you know, where he's with Batman and Wonder Woman and, you know, his his reaction of just, you know, zooming, zipping all over the Batcave when he goes into there for the first time is great. It's I mean, uh, honestly, it's kind of like Spidey in Civil War, but it, it, 
It is a little bit, yeah. But you know, different enough, and not quite. Uh, yeah, not too samey enough that it works it, on its own. Enough that it works on its own. I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh yeah, they're just copying right. Tom Holland's right. beats here or right, whatever. Right. Um, so, uh, I think Cyborg, a character who I have never really cared about in the comics, uh, probably has, uh, the most affecting arc in the, uh, out of any of the characters. Uh, I really, I really wish that there was more of him. Well, apparently uh, there was a lot of Snyder shot Cyborg stuff that got cut. Right. Uh, and, and I especially wish that there was, uh, that we got more stuff between, uh, him and his dad. I thought that that was, you know, one of the more interesting dynamics. And I mean, there, you can never go wrong with more, more Joe Morton. Uh, I love Joe Morton. Uh, and so, you know, to have him and, and Ray Fisher and more, uh, uh, wait, no, that's the character's name. What's the actor's name? <laughs> no, Victor, that, that's right. Victor Stone's the character name, right? Yeah. Ray Fisher is the actor. Yeah. That's right. Victor Stone's character. Um, so yeah, so he, you know, I, I, I liked, uh, I hate his armor design. I was happy to see his armor morph at the very, uh, end. Yeah, into, it it before... looked way better in that last little morph than it did the entire yeah, it's film. Like, why couldn't you have done that earlier? Just do that halfway through the movie or right. something. Uh, I didn't know? like Cyborg very much. I just, they, 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 Ray, Ray Fisher's didn't have much of a personality in it. They didn't give him really a lot to do. Um, I thought his sort of arc of, being concerned and having to overcome the fact that this technology that he's been fused with is, you know, overtaking his humanity. I like that in theory. I just didn't think it worked very well in the movie, especially since we didn't even, we don't know who Ray Fisher was before he was cyborg and before this right. well, and that, sort of assault I... on his humanity started. I mean, we don't know who this guy is in the first place. So I didn't really care too much that the AI was taking over. Well, and that was one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that I think of all the characters there, he was probably the one that needed an intro movie, uh, you know, or at least or at least another movie where he was more of a focus. And then we have Aquaman, who I loved, who I thought was great. And I was highly skeptical going in. I'm not really a Jason Momoa guy. And I thought he was great. Yeah, I he's he is clearly Momoa is clearly having just a ball playing the part. Right. It's like the guy's happy to be there. Yeah. He's just, he's just just having a great time. Um, the scene where he's, uh, sitting on the, the, the golden lasso is easily the funniest bit in the movie. Right. That, that was great. I loved that. Um, I, my only real complaint with him is that I wish that they had like, you know, given him something to do in water. (laughs) Right. He he is Aquaman. Right. You know, so, but, I mean, probably, I guess the problem actually, with that is that his he, worst scene is probably the stuff that's in water when he goes back to Atlantis and that like I don't I don't really need any of that <laughs> I didn't <laughs> care about any of that but you're right um, it's like the rest of the, well, the, it, the big climax he's like just getting thrown around and doing stuff that has nothing to do with Aquaman but right he's having so fun doing it he was having fun doing it uh, um, but yeah he, I I think he works more than he doesn't um, I'll be really interested to see what James Wan does. Uh, with the, the Aquaman solo movie, uh, next summer. Yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued now just because I liked Momoa in the part and I like James Wan. I don't know if this can be, this character can be stretched for a whole movie or this version of that character, but I'm more willing to give it a shot now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, Aquaman sucks. He's kind of lame. Um, you know, so I, <laughs> I like the, I, I think that the, you know, going the kind of like, 
you know, surfer dude by way of James Hetfield. Right. <laughs> I see. Well, I mean, I see complaints on Twitter. That's not that's not my Aquaman. That that doesn't. He's not like Aquaman. Well, you know what? Good, because Aquaman sucks. The only the only <laughs> other good the only him. other good version of Aquaman is from the Brave and the Bold cartoon, where that. he's just this arrogant asshole. Okay, Stu. Most serious question I'm going to ask you during this entire podcast. Are you ready? All right, go for it. If Bruce Wayne can have like this giant spider tank. Why can't he lend his teammates a fucking backhoe or some type of rich person digging equipment to exhume Superman's grave? Why they got to do manual labor? Uh, because it's funnier. <laughs> Bruce I mean, Wayne doesn't. Bruce Flash, Wayne doesn't I'm, have a backhoe. I mean, come on. He has a spider tanks too. <laughs> There's got to be some bat equipment in that cave. Perfect for digging caskets out of the ground. I I don't know. How often does Batman dig caskets out of the ground? How though? often does he need a spider tank that seems to its only purpose seems to be to navigate uh, like an enclosed cave space? Probably more often than he needs a backhoe to dig up graves. I'm just guessing here. I don't know. Well, but I mean, that also brings up the question is, you know, which doesn't he actually make reference to this is like Flash could have dug that whole grave in like two seconds. Right. Yeah, right. But I mean, doesn't he crack a joke about that? I, I forget. I don't remember. But, but I want to say that he does. I can't. Yeah, I can't remember. The, it's Flash, and who's the other digger? Is it Aquaman? Cyborg. Or Cyborg? It's Cyborg's the other digger. Okay. <laughs> and that actually, that that pairing led to a, a one of the better, uh, just little small character moments where you know it's like, hey, we're we're the mistakes of the group, which you know, I mean, that's that's kind of a it's you know. It's so weird. In truth, you're right. It's for a laugh, and I actually kind of like that scene, but I. If there's one thing I did not expect to see in that movie, even knowing Superman was coming back, I didn't expect, like, grave robbery. <laughs> that was not something I would have expected to show up. Like, we gotta, go, we gotta go dig Superman out of the ground. Okay. Right. I'm rolling with it. Uh, Stu, I, last thing, I want to talk about the music a little bit. Because I was actually playing, as you probably know, Danny Elfman scored Justice League. And if you right. listen close enough... You'll see, you'll hear bits of his uh, Batman 89 theme, and you'll hear bits of the John Williams Superman theme. And I was planning right. on writing a whole article separate from my review about how those bits were welcome, but they were not enough. That we should have had the full-bore Superman theme in this movie, we should have the full-bore Batman 89 animated series in this movie, that movie studios and directors should not be afraid of sort of capitalizing on the goodwill and emotion that those those themes are able to elicit from people. I was planning on writing all of this, and then Danny Elfman just went and just stole it from me because there were a bunch of articles that came out like yesterday where Danny Elfman's like, yeah, it's it's dumb that, that DC doesn't reuse the Superman theme and reuse the Batman theme. And I was glad to sneak a little bit of it in, and I wish I could have done more, and it's... It's he even brought up the example I was going to use, which was, you know, James Bond resets itself and recasts and reboots, but they don't right. replace the James Bond theme. You always get the James Bond theme. Why do we feel why do these and I'm going to assume it's because directors want to put their own personal stamp on things and stuff. But that fucking John Williams Superman theme is iconic. It's Superman's theme forever. Just use it. Just use it. How much cooler would have been if instead of like the the sort of low, bassy, subtle version of his theme when Superman is reborn in this film if we would have got the full blast of John Williams. It would have been great! Well, I think one thing that I was... I, I liked the kind of dissonant, or what, you know, however you want to uh, describe it, 
the you know the darker tone on uh the classic Williams theme whenever they're fighting him at the at the shattered monument. Right. Well, what about when uh, you know because it's you know it's meant to be it's like it's meant to be an uncertain moment. Right. Uh, but yeah, they they absolutely should have blared that thing. Right. Uh, whenever he whenever he shows up in you know fully suited up in the finale. Right. It's like don't be embarrassed by it and don't feel like you're using it as a cheat. It's not a cheat. It's part of the shared history of this character. Like, that we all are a part of. Just just use it. Like the Batman 89 theme should have blasted, like, blast that thing into full gear whenever uh, Batman floors the Batmobile out of the, the flying carrier. Oh, it absolutely should you have. You know, that, that should have, I mean, that would have, that would have kicked that whole uh, sequence just into overdrive. And, I mean, I guess it is a little bit of a cheat, but it's the power of music, man. Right. <laughs> Utilize Absolutely. it. And it's like, it's funny because even thinking back, maybe it's a director thing because if you recall, Batman Forever is, you know, the direct sequel to Batman Returns. Tim Burton, Tim Burton actually produced that film. It was going to star Keaton for a while. He dropped out, but a lot of the other supporting cast carried over and they changed themes. They dropped the Batman 89 theme. And even back then, it's like, well, why are you doing that? You have this perfect piece of music and Joel Schumacher doesn't want to use it. I don't get well, it. it. And it's weird too because Elliot Goldenthal's music for those movies, which is is actually you know in his in his defense is actually very good. Uh, it's one of the few things that I can unequivocally praise about those movies. Uh, it still sounds similar enough to Elfman's music that there yeah there's absolutely no reason that it shouldn't have just carried over. There are certain classic film themes: the Star Wars theme, uh, the Indiana Jones theme, the Bond theme. You can't give up on them, man. I mean, you have to keep using them. And I, I, I think it goes for, I, I think it goes absolutely for, it's probably for Batman and definitely for Superman. And I even like, they, I, a little bit of the Man of Steel theme gets incorporated in this too. And I'm fine with that because again, I actually, I think the score for Man of Steel was really good. Yeah. I but think like you Zimmer's, can't, you can't, uh, there, there's no way you should just drop the classic William Superman theme. It's, it's part sure. of the character at this point. I, I still might write that article at some point. I really just felt like Danny Elfman stole my thunder, but I'm glad he agrees. I'm glad he agrees with me. All right. Okay. So this is the last thing, Stu. I, I promised we'd talk about the future of the DCEU. So the movie comes out. We think it's not bad. We think it's a step in the right direction. And yet it only opens in North America to $93 million, which for a gigantic team up, DC superhero movie that costs a gajillion dollars is actually a terrible, terrible, terrible opening weekend number. That's less, that's significantly less than what Thor Ragnarok opened to. That's significantly less than what Guardians of the Galaxy 2 opened to. And this was supposed to be Warner Brothers, you know, the crown jewel of the DC extended universe. It was also less than what Wonder Woman opened up to, which we know is actually the the highlight of the DCEU, but wasn't what was planned. So even though we liked the movie, even though we thought it was a step in the right direction, what does this do for the DCU as a whole? Can they just ignore the numbers, hope it goes to the roof in China and keep on trucking? Do they have to make changes again? What, what do we think happens to their future slate and plans at this point? If Warner Brothers was smart, they'd one, they'd fire Kevin Sujihara. Uh, just get rid of him. The guy is just... Oh my God, he is just 
horribly handle all this stuff. Um, but two, uh, and most importantly, uh, if they were really were smart about it, they would not attempt another Justice League movie for several years. I agree. Um, I mean, obviously you want to double down on Wonder Woman because she is fantastic, uh, fantastically realized, wonderfully acted. Uh, I remember just, uh, you know, it being a huge question mark as to whether Gal Gadot would, would really, uh, nail this character. Which you is know, hilarious even, now. Even just do a halfway decent job and she is just, she's absolutely perfect. And, to, and, and we never stated it earlier. Let's go ahead. She's fantastic in Justice League. Of course. Right. I mean, she's, you know, she's, she's doing her thing and it's, you know, if there's, if there is a reason to see this, it's to see more of her as Wonder Woman. Um, so obviously, I mean, that's, that's about as safe a bet as you can get. Um, recast Batman. See, uh, mm, get, get Ben Affleck out of, dude is so uninterested I, at this point. I'm really point. Confl- It is all over his face. I'm really confused. It is all over his, his ever changing face in this movie. Uh, that he's just, I feel like he's checked out. I'm very conflicted about this because on one hand, I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think he's great in this part. I think he's okay. I think he's serviceable. I don't hate it, but I, I don't I think, think, I don't think he's great. Right? And I kind of agree with you that he seems bored. However, so much of this series so far, starting with BVS, is that this is an older Batman, a tired Batman. A Batman that's kind of at, at the end of his rope and has been doing this as, as for a while. And he's kind of the de facto leader of the group, even though Wonder Woman is kind of tasked with stepping up at the end of this movie and taking more of that role. But it's like, and if they recast Batman, I assume they're going to go out and get like a 35-year-old guy, a 33-year-old guy. And it's just, how do you do that but keep everything else the same? It's going to feel weird. I Because I think that the... If it's all solo that- movies. Well, because I think that that will just kind of serve as a soft reboot. Okay. Uh, if this only made $93 million, it's only going to go lower from here. Uh, you know, cause that's how most, <laughs> that's how yeah, most I mean, it could go. do very well internationally and it probably it, will. It Although you have, to, you have to, you have to remember so, this, you have to remember studios get less from the international box office. So right. you really need it to do well here. Well, and so the, the point being is that like people obviously, didn't want to go see this. Uh, they're not engaged, um, you know, with, uh, with a lot of these characters as is. Uh, so just kind of try and sweep it under the rug. And, you know, like I said, soft reboot. Yeah, but, uh, right. But I mean, uh, I mean, you have to keep Gal Gadot going. I, sure. I, I hope, um, Cavill sticks around. Um, I would love to see a Brad Bird directed sequel to Man of Steel. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's contracted for at least one more movie. So okay, um, we'll, we'll see him stick around. We'll probably get a man of steel too, but yeah, just don't, don't do another justice league for a while. Let I, things breathe. Okay. I, I agree with you. I think here's what you need to do. Sort of give up on the shared universe at the moment. Now all these things can still be connected and you don't have to you know right. mess with continuity or have them conflict just, with each just other. Just make good solo movies but, for a while. But right, let's do Wonder Woman 2. I'm sure Patty Jenkins will make it great. Um, Aquaman's happening. Let's hope it's good. Uh, I don't think a cyborg movie's ever going to happen. I think there'll be... If this movie's perceived as a failure, I think too much of that maybe is going to rub off on some of these other characters. I think it's definitely going to rub off on Cyborg. I'm not sure if it's going to run off on The Flash. I think it's 50-50 we get a, 
flash solo movie at this point. But, right, I mean, basically bring in some filmmakers, talented young filmmakers who are interested, and if they have a good take on a DC character, whether it's The Flash or whether it's somebody who's not in Justice League and we haven't seen yet, do it as a standalone. Just do it as a standalone. Right. Um, if, if Matt Reeves is going to go make a Batman trilogy or a Batman movie, whether he uses Affleck or somebody else, great. Let him do it. Just have that. Again, it can be part of the universe, but... Let's not do the whole Marvel thing. Everything has to be super connected. We don't need cameos in it and stuff. Just let him make a Batman movie or a couple of Batman movies. Then after, you know, five or six years, if we've had a couple of these work, maybe Shazam's great and everybody loves it. Or maybe, I mean, who knows? At that point, maybe you can see what works and what hasn't and try a Justice League type movie again. But if, if they run straight into Justice League 2 and it's, you know, going to be dated for two years from now, I think that's a bad idea. Yeah, I I I will be surprised if we if we do get one uh, that soon. Although I do kind of want to see the Legion of Doom they teased at the end, even though <laughs> even though even though I I hate 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 this version of Lex Luthor so much, it it would just be so batshit that that I almost want to see it. There's still plenty of time. It's like to, for... to use the old movies, to use the old own movies tagline against it. Let's go all in on all this crazy shit that the DCU EU has thrown at us. Half of us, which hasn't even worked. Let's just put it all out there and do a Super Friends versus Legion of Doom movie. That it might be terrible, but it would be incredible. There, there is still time, and I hold out hope against hope. That at some point, like whatever whatever the next movie is that Lex shows up in, uh, that they cast uh, someone else <laughs> to to play Lex <laughs> Luthor Senior, and he waltzes in is like, yeah, my son really screwed things up, <laughs> and then he just you know they just kind of hand wave it away like you know Eisenberg Luthor was just you know the clowning son or something like that, and here's the real Luthor, right. P, I, but you know what? That's the, the general audience is though they like they're trained by Marvel to like the connectivity, and if they start being willy nilly with the connectivity, people aren't the people who are on board the series aren't going to like it. So it's tough. It's tough. I Lex had a son though. It, that's it's true. No, there, that, there was, I know, I know, I know. He's Lex Luthor Jr. Technically, but I will say this: if if there's another Man of Steel movie, another Superman movie, don't don't put Lex in it. Let's use Brainiac or somebody. How crazy! How many Superman movies have we had, and we've never used Brainiac? How insane do, is that? It is. It is pretty crazy. Do Brainiac or Metallo? Right. Uh, we've you had could do what, You could four, do Parasite. You could five, do Mongol. Six uh, modern day Superman movies, and Luther has been the villain in like four of four of them. I mean, it's it's insane. Give us Brainiac or any of those guys you mentioned. He's been he's been the villain in all but uh, well, one of them. Superman three, and oh yeah, w- yeah he's a man. Wait, he's not in Man of Steel. No, he's not in Man of Steel, and he's not Superman three. So I'm taking those two out. Is he not in Superman three? I could have swore that he was in Superman no, three. No, no, Luther. Like he doesn't. Appear no, uh, there might be, at all. There might be a cameo, maybe. I don't remember. I don't sit around watching Superman three that much. But as a matter of fact, I, I'm almost sure he's not because it's a big deal when Chris Reeve talked him into coming back for. The quest for peace. But, uh, yeah, give us somebody else, please. 
All right, Stu. That's all we that's all the time we got. Thanks for coming on and talking Justice League with me. My pleasure. It's been too long. I know. Well, we're going to do Star you're you're here for Star Wars in like what, 3 weeks, right? Oh, absolutely. We'll try we'll try to rope some of our other friends and we might we might blow that one out. That might be like an hour mega Star Wars show cuz there'll be tons and tons <laughs> to talk about. Uh until you wait for that, Feel free to check out our website, cultspark.com. You can find links to our Facebook and Twitter feeds there. You can subscribe to this podcast if you want to leave us a nice review on iTunes. We would love that. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll catch you when the, when the Last Jedi comes out. Uh, my thanks for Stu for joining me, and we'll see you all next time.